0: Released on July 19th, 1965, one of the most popular songs of that era, Help, by the Beatles, became an instant hit. It was actually the A side of the album. Now, hold on for just a minute. Kids, kids, there used to be records that were, like, Ethan knows this, all right, but like other kids, records and there was like an A-side and a B-side sometimes, all right? On the A-side of that album, can anybody tell me, I'll give you three seconds, I'll give you $20 if you can tell me what the B-side of that was. One, two, three, no. You know the song that was on the B-side? It's right there, I actually gave it to you. I'm Down was the song on the B-side of that album. I've never heard that song before, but whatever. There's probably a good reason that I've never heard that song, why? Because the A side was help. Who in the world remembers the other song? The familiar lyrics, guys, ring in our ears and memories, don't they? Help, I need somebody. Not just, you know, I need someone. Help. Like, guys, I'm not even really a big Beatles fan, but, like, I know that song. The song is so popular that it immediately, upon its release, rocketed to number one on the Billboard charts in not just the US, but also, of course, the UK. And eventually became the title track for the movie by the same name. And guys, it's not just that the song is so singable and so familiar and has us remembering all these years later, it is the, the depth and the connection of the lyrics to our own lives, I feel like, that make it just as meaningful today as it was written Nearly and going on now, believe it or not, and I hope this doesn't make some of you feel too old, but nearly 60 years now, guys. I know, right? I knew someone was going to be like, just, you didn't have to say that part, Ryan. I mean, like the, the first verse, guys, contains these words, and just listen to the truth in them and see if it doesn't resonate in your life. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, I'm not so self assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors, right? We feel like in our life, like, you're young, you've got everything figured out, I'm going to conquer the world, and then something throws you for a tailspin, and you're like, I'm not sure if I know which way is up and down anymore. And so in verse 2, we get these words, and now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then I feel so insecure, I know that I just need you like I've never done before. And what's most interesting is not just that the lyrics are so meaningful and they're so real to us, but that they were even more so to the members of the Fab Four. Quoted in a magazine article in 1980, John Lennon himself said this, The whole Beatles thing, the whole Beatle mania was just beyond my comprehension, and so I was subconsciously, in writing that song, crying out for help. Guys, we're no different. We're no John Lennon, we're no Paul McCartney, but we need help in every single part of life. Newsflash. It's not just I'm saying that. I'm telling you truth right now that you need to hear. And if you don't know that and believe that in your life and can come and accept that in your life, we need help. From the time that we are a baby baby, to a toddler and then to a teenager and then to a a young adult. And then guess what? Even as grown adults, we never stop needing help in our lives. And that's even more obvious in our faith life as we'll talk about this morning. But here is the very strange thing about this concept of help. We are rarely adept at asking for it, aren't we? In fact, I've got a cartoon up here. that's the, the consummate cartoon. is a guy in an office setting in a car. And it says down at the bottom, lost in the shuffle, Bob refused to stop and ask for directions. He couldn't take the help. I love this next one I found too. Dads. Proudly refusing to ask for directions since 1845. And we're darn proud of it, right? We don't need anybody's help. Now, my point this morning, guys, in opening all of that up is not to recite Beatles lyrics, although we've had fun with that and we've laughed at these cartoons. Sadly and very really, guys, this is how many Christians live their lives. Help is, is available. But they don't always and hardly ever ask for help. Oh, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need to tell you anything. I don't need to tell you that I really, really need some help right now. Guys, many, many believers are unaware that there is, we're going to talk about this morning, several different ideas around this idea of, of a helper, but a, a comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit that they can ask, that you can ask at any moment in your life. Guys, listen, you you, you all know this as, as well as I do. Living in this world, number one, but specifically for believers, living in this world for God in a very ungodly world is, like, mildly putting it, challenging. Sometimes daunting. But here's the deal, guys. God never intended for us to go at it alone in this world. It's why he gives us a church family, a body of believers who will surround us and encourage us, and build us up, and care for one another. But even above that, he has given his Holy Spirit, a helper who is not only at work in the world around us, but is very busy working inside of every believer. And again, I know there I'm going to preach this this morning. There, some of you be like, oh, "Okay, cool. I understand that. I understand Scripture." But like, isn't that weird that like? A person is living inside of me? Okay, I'll give you that one. But like, just hang with me this morning and let's talk about this. And and the unfortunate part of it, guys, is that for too many people, for too many believers specifically, that idea, that truth just doesn't matter. Because we, we have no understanding and better yet, and most importantly, we have no relationship with the Holy Spirit. And for such a a large swath of believers, not just here in the U.S., but across the world, but I really do feel like this is sometimes a U.S. of A problem in the church. The Holy Spirit is, for many people, just some sort of an impersonal A force or some kind of power that's controlled by God, but not fully a person himself and not God himself. And still other people suggest that perhaps the Holy Spirit is just another name for Jesus in spirit form apart from the body. In the title of an article from a publication called The Federalist, there was an article and the title of that article was Survey Finds Most American Christians Are Actually Heretics. And you're like, I was I mean, like, I was like, I want to read that article. That's an interesting one, right? That, that'll catch your attention. Uh, of note this morning, there was a quote and there was a kind of a question that revealed this, that most Christians say the Holy Spirit is a divine force or a symbol of God's power and presence. A symbol. Like the Holy Spirit is nothing more than just a, a symbol. Now, guys, the Holy Spirit is present, but he's certainly not merely a presence that's impersonal that's cold that's disconnected like there's some presence around it's not a presence guys symbols don't do much symbols are there for you to look at they're there for you to appreciate they bring sentimental inspiration many times but they don't actually do any work it's just there for looks I cannot emphasize this enough this morning. I hope that you catch this in what you read and what I say this morning. The Holy Spirit is not just window dressing. Like just there. Like just a throw in because, yeah, we have to acknowledge him. Guys, the Holy Spirit is a vital and a crucial part of the Godhead, and it is the engine. He is the engine that drives the faith life of any believer, of any Christian. It, that's, guys, that's way more than a symbol or a presence. None of the ideas that I've just brought up about being an important personal force or a symbol or an it or a thing or an aura, none of those ideas, zero of those line up with what the Bible actually says about the Holy Spirit. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. It is a he, not an it. A thing. He is a person who has been present with the Father and the Son since before time began. So necessarily, not only is the Holy Spirit a person, he is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is God, not just some throw-in or add-on. As the Spirit is integral to all things that God is described as doing in the Bible. Bluntly, the Bible is unequivocal that the Holy Spirit is in fact God just as Jesus Christ and the Father are God. But again, as I've already said, for many believers, they just not just misunderstand the Holy Spirit, they have no relationship with the third person of the Godhead. They don't think much or about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. A man by the name of A.W. Tozer years ago said it this way, the idea of the Holy Spirit How utterly sad that for so many people they have not captured the idea and the beauty of the relationship that we have to the Holy Spirit. And so my hope is that not just this morning but over the next few weeks we will lay out before you, scripture will lay out before you the beauty and the majesty of the Holy Spirit. That we would come to worship. The Holy Spirit as well in our lives. Understand the Holy Spirit. This is not an academic exercise. It's a relationship. It's about knowing him better. John Lloyd Ogilvie once wrote these words, sadly, many Christians settle for two-thirds of God. God the Father is way up there somewhere, aloof and apart from their daily lives. Christ is out there somewhere between them and the Father. The Holy Spirit is some kind of vague force or impersonal power that they hear about, but they do not know intimately, personally, in relationship. Guys, the truth is you need help. I need help. We all need help. And the good news of this morning and the next few weeks is that the help is here. He has arrived. And of all the places that we could go for help in understanding the Holy Spirit, our helper in Scripture, after all, 260 times alone in just the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referenced. Where in the world, in all of that, in 260 times, where does someone start to get an understanding of the person and the work Of the Holy Spirit. And I think there is no better place to go. The fullest treatment in all of Scripture that we can go is from the lips of Jesus Himself. If you turn this morning to John chapter 14, I'm going to be primarily in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 this morning as we talk about the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And just to set things up this morning, give you a context for where we're at in the Gospel of John, everything that we'll talk about this morning takes place in what is known as the Upper Room Discourse. Why would you imagine that it was called the Upper Room Discourse? Where did it take place? In the Upper Room. You remember it all starts in John 13, right, when Jesus is up there with the disciples and he begins to wash their feet. That's part of the Upper Room Discourse. It's a major block of teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples just prior to the Holy Week and to his death and his burial and his resurrection. So it's safe to say, guys, if that's the truth, and these are probably the last major words and the last major teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples, it's really, really important stuff. And before we dive into this, I, I want you to, to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Remember, and let's try to... Know the attitude and the psyche of the disciples at this moment when they show up in the upper room. I mean, they're pretty depressed about everything they're hearing from Jesus. Uh, that I'm leaving. Oh, better yet, guys, not just I'm leaving, but that I I will I will be cruci- I will be I will be tortured and I will be beaten and I will be crucified. I, I mean, just imagine that. Like they cannot wrap their minds around this. They are depressed with the idea of everything they're hearing. They're starting to become unraveled emotionally. They're starting to feel helpless. They are fearing God. Guys, when Jesus leaves, then our discipleship program is over and it's barely even started. We're only three years into this thing. Guys, the discipleship program wasn't finished. It was just beginning. And so Jesus senses their fear in this moment and in his mercy promises throughout the rest of the evening. He says to the disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments. By the way, just to step aside there a little bit, not only does he say that to the disciples that night, I believe he says the same thing to us. If you love Jesus, if you say you love Jesus, obey him. And he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give another advocate. In some of your Bibles, it probably says helper, someone who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Catch that again, verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And I love verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. There are, in just those few verses right there, guys, five, what I say, are functions or traits, or the role of the Holy Spirit, specifically in a believer's life. And I want to point these out to you. I, guys, I, I really feel like if we understood what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, if we understood who the Holy Spirit is in our lives, it would so radically change our lives. First, what does it say here? He is an active helper. What do he say there again? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, in my translation it says advocate. Helper is also a word that is appropriate there. It is the Greek word Parakletos, which means a helper, a comforter, someone who comes beside you to assist you in something. That's how it was used in Greek language. Four times in this upper room discourse, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as helper, it is, it is a designated term and the emphasis that Jesus uses to describe the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. Guys, Jesus could have used many different phrases and terms to describe the role and the working of the Holy Spirit. He's given many titles throughout Scripture. The Spirit of Counsel, of Wisdom, and Might, and Knowledge. The Eternal Spirit, God Himself, or the Good Spirit, and so it's very significant and it's on purpose that Jesus uses the word and the term helper or advocate. You see, in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, that, that word, that Greek word, "parakletos," was associated with the legal profession or with courts. And it would refer to somebody who was a counsel for the defense or somebody who would help you plead your case to help in your case. Can I ask you this morning, does anybody in here feel like they need somebody on their side who's going to win their case for them? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, hands are like, yep, uh, I sure do. Hey, guess what? He is available. The Holy Spirit is available. The Amplified Bible renders this verse and this idea by saying that Jesus would give believers one call to stand constantly by us And who is ready to take part in everything in which his help is needed. I love that rendering. Tim Downs says it this way. Watches, cars, and Christians can all look chromed and shiny. But watches don't tick and cars don't go. And Christians don't make a bit of difference without insides, guts. And then he says, for a Christian, that is undeniably the Holy Spirit. The guts of who you are as a believer is the Holy Spirit. Guys, to get into the kingdom is the elementary part and the beginning step to everything. But to walk like royalty takes active help. To walk as a son or daughter only happens, guys, only. I want to say this. To walk as a Christian, to have a fruitful Christian life only happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not The Holy Spirit, an active helper. We look at this here and the Holy Spirit is a similar helper. Like, what do I mean by that? Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you, that word right there is important, another advocate. A helper of exactly the same kind is really the translation there. It's a very precise, and it's a very technical word. You see, in our language, when we want to say, I want another something, we have one word to, dis- to say that, another. In the Greek language, there were two words for another. One was alos. And the other was, which would be familiar to us, heteros, all right? Another. I want you to think it this way. Let me describe it out. Imagine yourself and you are eating a warm, gooey piece of apple pie. And if you really want to get into this illustration, you're welcome to throw a lump of vanilla ice cream on top of that. I know. I do this all the time. like, now you're hungry. Love it. I I want you to imagine you're eating that pie and you enjoy it so much that you ask what the question, can I have another piece? Now, what you are not saying is I would love another piece of blueberry pie or peach pie. What are you asking? Hey, bucko, I want a piece exactly like the one you just gave me. That is what Jesus is saying here. What is it, why is that significant? What is Jesus saying? And what is he meaning in saying another helper? What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, I have been a helper to you, and I'm leaving, but the Father is going to give you another helper exactly like I have been to you. And this is significant, guys, because these guys, again, remember, are so consumed about what they're losing that they're not thinking about what they are gaining. They're so distraught. And Jesus is trying to say, guys, he says it in chapter 16, it's better that I go away. I'm like, are you nuts, oh, dude? It's not good for you to go away. It is. Because there is a, another who is coming to help you. Guys, it's likely probably that many, if not all of us, have said something along these lines at some point in your life. Wouldn't it be stupendously great to live during the time of Jesus when he lived to actually be there to hear Jesus voice to watch his miracles to be there when you needed something from Jesus how many of you have ever probably said something like that in your life man if I could have just been there heard those words with my own ears well of course ding-dongs it would have been better to be there right but what Jesus wants us to realize, what he wants his disciples to realize is that the Holy Spirit is the perfect representation and likeness for Jesus himself when it comes to being a helper. Again, what I said this in Bible study this morning, but Jesus says at one point in the Gospels, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I imagine just like that, the Holy Spirit could say, if you can experience me and have a relationship with me, you would know Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, actually, as part of this upper room discourse, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he wants us to know, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And guys, the quicker that we learn that, that we can do nothing apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the more fruitful and the more fulfilled you're going to be in your life. Skip Heitzig puts it this way. We need the Father for external life, for existence to be. We need the Son for eternal life, but we need the Spirit for internal life as a source of strength and comfort and instruction. Next thing that I notice as we read here in John chapter 14 is, and this is great, guys, by the way, he is a permanent helper. Like, doesn't this just drop in at one point and be like, okay, see you, I'm out. Like, I helped you, gone. He will, he's, What does he say here? He will give you another helper who will never, ever leave you. And then he says at the end in verse 18 there, I will not abandon you. I will come to you. Guys, God is not just with you only in the first part of your faith walk until you can get on your feet like a little baby deer. You've ever watched a deer try to get up and start walking? It's the most awkward and weird thing do you know what it looks like when a person comes to Jesus Christ? It looks pretty awkward and messy. But, the, but God is not just with us. The Holy Spirit is not with, just with us in that moment. You have, guys, think of it this way, a 24-7 live-in helper who will be comforting, maturing, counseling, and scripture even says praying for you. Guys, he is committed to the process of growing you and maturing you and making you into the image of Christ now and forevermore. That is the goal, by the way, of all scripture tells us of of all of our lives to end up at the end of all things and we are the best representation we can be of Jesus Christ. Do you know who helps in that? Somebody say it. The Holy Spirit. There you go, I heard some whispers. Guys, in the Old Testament, you will remember the Spirit of God came on individuals at different times for very specific reasons and specific callings. And sometimes he would work very powerfully and be upon them, and then he would leave. And I was talking about this in Bible study this morning. I want you to be very, I want to be very clear about this. It is the difference between with and in. We've been talking for all this time here about what the Holy Spirit is as a helper. We've been talking about the in part in our lives. Now, let me shift gears for just a moment and talk about the with. How does the Holy Spirit work in the world and in the lives of unbelievers? And I think this is a fascinating study, by the way, because there are a lot of people who say, well, only really believers have the Holy Spirit. Well, we'll define that, and there's more to talk about with that. But I really, truly believe, and it's scripturally sound, that the Holy Spirit is also pressing on people who have no belief. Which, by the way, is really, really great news. Really great news. How in the world are we ever going to come to God? How in the world, or is anybody who's sitting in here who has come to Christ, how did you ever come to Christ unless it was the work of, yes, probably somebody in your life, but there's the Holy Spirit behind that, pressing on you chasing you down. John chapter 16, can you turn there with me please? Just a couple chapters over. Starting in verse 5, Jesus is again continuing on this block of teaching and he says, now I am going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because what I've told you, but in fact, it is best, I was just talking about this, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate will not come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he will do. This is how the Holy Spirit works in the world. He will convict the world. The actual word there and the idea behind that is not necessarily convict because we say that word and we're like, that's a really harsh word, convict. Some of us need to be convicted. The word really is convince. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Theologians have long since had a a nickname for the Holy Spirit. Many people, uh, and it comes from uh, originally a Francis Thompson poem called the Hound of Heaven. That's how people have termed and nicknamed the Holy Spirit, that he is the Hound of Heaven of heaven. I would encourage you to look up that poem. It's just a short little poem, but it's a really powerful poem. In short, what that poem says, along with what we just read in Scripture, is that the Spirit will show up in people's lives, unbelievers' lives, in the world, and He will convict or convince the world of sin and righteousness and that there is a judgment that is coming for sin. Guys, that's how He is working and how He works in any person's life from the get-go. He, he is working with you. Skip Heitzig says it this way, and I love this, is a great little flow here. He will comfort us, that's what we've been talking about in John 14, the advocate, the helper, he will comfort us as we are sanctified. He is in us, what we're primarily talking about this morning, and that, what we'll talk in the weeks to come is that he will come upon us, making us, I love how he says this, supercharged. Anybody in here want to be supercharged in their life of faith? Absolutely. He is gifting us to do his work in the world and to be his witness. With us, in us, through us. That's how the Holy Spirit works in the life of any person from, from beginning all the way and forevermore. And I, I hear this phrase, and I've said this phrase myself too, is how can, Ryan, that's everything you've said, I want that. How can I get more of the Holy Spirit? Uh-uh. We, we shouldn't be asking the question that way. We should be saying, how can the Holy Spirit get more of me? It's not about any of us getting more power, but how, of, how the power of the Spirit is getting into you and working through you. Guys, I would say it this way, and this is very, very important for what I've been talking about this morning, that we need to, at any moment in life, be seeking the person, not the power. Too many people are after power, and after the power, we just need to seek the person of God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is, back here in John 14, go back to there and keep looking at that. He is also a reliable helper. What does Jesus say? He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Do you want to know the truth? Follow the Holy Spirit. He can't lie. He can't deceive. He won't lead you to lie. He won't lead you to deceive. He deals with. Strictly and exclusively in truth. Again, in this teaching, John 15, 26, Jesus says this: I will send you the advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father, and He will testify all about me, the truth. John 16, 13, again, part of this teaching. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak on his own, he will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Guys, it's more than just that the Holy Spirit gives us what's true and what's false. It's a very specific kind of truth that Jesus is talking about, centering on Jesus himself, which is, by the way, all of the New Testament. That's the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's specifically what he's the spirit of, the truth about Jesus. I was talking a little bit about this in Bible study this morning, and I don't know if you've heard this. But there are a lot of people who will use phrases like this. I, I got a vision. I, 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 I heard a word. I, I got a prompting or an impression. Time out. When people start saying that stuff, I told this morning, don't be skeptical of people. Just be critical in this way. Find out what in the world that truth is, what that vision is, what that word is, what that prompting is, what that impression is, and if it doesn't line up with the truth, it's not any kind of truth worth following. You should be testing everything, everything that you hear against the truth. Guys, I'm going to say this right now. Even what I say, do not take my words as like, oh, I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to, don't. Don't do that. Go and test everything what should also be a consideration in this testing process is whether or not what you're hearing and what others are saying in their vision or their prompting is whether it's balanced, it's balanced truth. It's not just one particular truth that's held above all the other truths, but it's balanced with all the other truth of God. And then as well, too, we find here in John chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit is an exclusive helper. And you're like, ooh, Ryan, that's weird, like exclusive. I don't like that word. Like there's a club here, we got to be a, here's what I mean. Not everybody gets the Holy Spirit's help in exactly the same way. What does it say here again? The, The world cannot receive him, the Holy Spirit, because it isn't looking and doesn't recognize. But you know him because he dwells with and is in you. Guys, every person who is a saved child of God has the Holy Spirit as a helper. The Holy Spirit enables you to be a receiver, if you look at it this way, a receiver of God's frequency. He enables you to, as one preacher has put it, to receive, and by receiving say, I get it. I apprehend it. I understand it. Honestly, guys, this is why there is oftentimes such a block when you try to share the gospel or live the gospel to somebody Because there is no ability on that person, on an unbelieving person's part, to get what you're saying, to receive what you're saying. And that's, again, I've said this about three times now in Bible study on Thursday and Bible study this morning. I'm going to say it again right here on the stage. That's why we should be praying for people praying for family members that we dearly love and friends that we dearly love and coworkers that we dearly love, that their spiritual eyes would be open to receive such good news, that you, Holy Spirit, would work in somebody's lives. I look at it like this, and some of you, I'm going to say this, and this is going to be lost on you because you're not a techie person. But it's like making the connection between a, a router at your house and the Wi-Fi signal. Guys, there can be a strong Wi-Fi signal all day long, but unless that router connects to it and transmits it to all the other devices in your house, it doesn't make difference at all. Levi, how did I do on that, by the way? Does that make sense? Okay, my techie guy is saying yes, because I'm not very techie either, but I just tried that out. It's like this. Think of it this way, too. If you don't get Wi-Fi and routers, it's like trying to have a physically blind person see something that you're trying to reveal to them. It's just not going to work. They don't have the proper receptors to see an image, let alone recognize that image. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17, he uses a line and a phrase he says that we are to be filled with the spirit. Literally the translation is be being filled with the spirit. And you're like, "Why in the world would he have to like remind us to be filled with the spirit? You want to know why?" Because you and I leak. And we leak a lot. It's why we need every day of our lives to be filled with the Spirit. Because something in our lives comes along and punches a pin in us. And punches a pin in us again. And we just start to like uh, sink down and become discouraged and become dejected. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. I heard this story this week of there is the Apostles Creed. I don't know if you guys are you familiar with that, what church you grew up in? But the beginning of it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Well, as a story goes, a Sunday school teacher had the idea with a bunch of kids, I think it would be really great if our kids recited and, and memorized and recited all of the Apostles' Creed. And so they went through it and the the first kid who had the, God the Father, did his thing, did his line, it was delivered very well. And Jesus the Son, that was delivered so well. Then there was this big, long, awkward pause. And one little girl finally spoke up and she said, I'm sorry, sir, but the little boy who has the Holy Ghost is absent today. And guys, I, I really feel like perhaps that's where the church finds itself today. Absent of the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine to get, but a relationship to pursue in your life. In our grander search for the knowledge and the power of a holy God. I said it this morning this way in Bible study. If you do not know the Holy Spirit and more importantly have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you do not know and do not have a relationship with God. D.M. Dawson once wrote it this way. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, all human efforts, all human methods, all human plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with our own breath. And yet that's how so many of us live our lives, don't we? In our own effort, in our own triumph. If I could just puff, puff enough to puff get the sails of my life to puff puff go, we might go somewhere. Guys, it's never ever Going to work. It may work for a very, very short time, but it never works. And it's never sustained over a period of time. Guys, it is the Holy Spirit who pursues people and chases people, that comes after people like the hound of heaven. And do you know how God passionately pursues people in a lost world? The Holy Spirit. By sending His Holy Spirit to work with, in, And through people like you and I to do kingdom work. And I said that and you went, oh my gosh, really? You're telling me that God's going to work? I'm telling you that God is going to, that God desperately wants to work through you and a church to be his kingdom presence in this world. Guys, the task has not changed one iota from what it was over 2,000 years ago to make disciples, win them to Christ, and make them to be more like Christ. And guys, it's still as impossible today for present disciples as it was for those disciples. And here is why. Because most people do not believe. Most people are not taking hold of the help that we have to do the work in this world. Most people in this world, it is just a fact, are unsaved. The large majority of people in the world do not believe in Jesus Christ as their only means of salvation. Put it into perspective for you guys. If you were to, at this moment, line up all of the unsaved people in the world, shoulder to shoulder, you could form a line that would go all the way around the earth 30 times. That's not it. The line is growing 20 miles longer every day. My friends, we have work to do, but we're never going to do that work fruitfully or rightly unless we have the help of the Holy Spirit. You and I are called not to be makers or convincers, Or convictors. We are called simply to be facilitators. Guys, the enormity and the urgency of the call that I just told you about is what keeps us going. It's what keeps the church inspired. It's what gives us something to do in this time on earth when we are just passing through to our home in heaven. And it demands the Spirit's movement in our life. Guys, great works are done by the combination of a very big God and small potatoes, small potatoes. God wants to use us so desperately. Guys, we need help and thank goodness the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. A man was at a construction site and there were a group of stonemasons, bricklayers, all working with the same stone. They were all doing the exact same task and the man walked up to one of these workers and he asked, what are you doing? And the reply was, I'm just, I'm just chipping stone. He said it like that. It was just like, I hate, I hate my job. I hate this horrible job. I'm just chipping stone. And so he walked up to the second man doing the exact same job with the exact same stone. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a wall. I mean, that's a, would you agree? That's probably a little higher than chipping stone. I'm making a wall. He was doing the same exact thing. One person was chipping stone. The other was making a wall. And so he walked to a third person and he said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "This. I. I am building a cathedral." Guess what, guys? We are helping to build a kingdom. The Holy Spirit and us together on this earth, we are helping to build God's kingdom. How is that for a really noble and high task? We're not just, we're not just, just chipping stone. I just, all I got, I show up here for another Sunday to sit in this pew and just listen to this wacko up there on stage say more words. We are building a kingdom. A.W. Tozer said years ago, quoted him already in the sermon, quote him again, multitudes of Christians profess today the Holy Spirit is not a necessity. They have instead learned to cheer their hearts and to warm their hands at other fires. The question to you this morning is, where are you warming your hands? What fires are you standing around hoping that it's going to magically Warm you up enough to get you out of the rut in your life, out of the mud you are stuck in in your life. If you are looking anywhere in this world but the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are looking in the wrong place, my friend. So, my encouragement this morning for you is that first and foremost, you've got to make a decision, some of you in this room, you've got to make a decision to first come to Christ and to accept Christ into your life. And then by accepting Christ into your life, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit to work in you and to work through you. But for some of us in this room who have already done that, we need to decide finally and fully in our lives, I'm done. I surrender, I'm done with the thousands of ways in my life that I try to find some sort of inspiration and some sort of life, take me Holy Spirit. And that's, guys, by the way, that's scary. That's out of control. That's bonkers. But then again, in their sense, it makes the best sense in the world. You can't control your life. I've proved that enough in my life. I can't control my life. God sure can. Would you stand with me this morning? As the worship team comes up here, I want to pray this prayer. Lord, we ask this morning, and not just this morning, but every day the rest of this week and the weeks to come, every Sunday that we are here talking about your holy spirit him the lord we would get a greater and greater understanding not just of the holy spirit but you god in whole may we not settle for just a part of god or two-thirds of you god but we would want we want the whole thing and we are hoping i'm praying i'm pleading that we're ready to if you will go on a ride because, Lord, when we surrender our lives to you, we give you all control. You do take us for a ride. And that ride is sometimes like a roller coaster. And it takes us in the highest peaks and it takes us down in the lowest valleys. But, Lord, you are there with us. You will not abandon us. You will not leave us. We have the hope. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.